Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Years ago, a chaplain was invited to pray in front of the legislative bodies of one of our state assemblies. He prayed this prayer. He said, Omniscient Father, help us to know who's telling the truth. One side tells us one thing, and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we'd like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we honestly have an honesty problem in our society today. I've got a couple of just uh, just simple examples I can show you. In a recent CNN documentary, a photo appeared of a young Joe Biden holding his son. And this had to be um, years ago. I mean, this is a long time ago. Uh, and, and in the picture, it's a cute picture. His kid's got a, a I call them toboggans. I, I had to change, decide which word to use because I don't, what do they call these things in Colorado? Caps. That's what the, that's the, the something with the bill. So, so, and I guess in Colorado, a toboggan is a sled. So, here in Georgia, that's a toboggan he's got on. So, just keep that in mind there. Uh, and, however, in the, the documentary that CNN aired, the, the toboggan uh, was, was doctored. And instead of a Washington Redskins logo, that used to be a football team that existed in uh, Washington, D.C. Now they're just known as the football team which is kind of arrogant, but um, (laughs) uh, the original photo appeared in Joe Biden's Facebook page on June 21st. It was a Father's Day tribute post, and so he even posted that picture with the Washington Redskins Redskins logo there prominently on the, uh, the young man's toboggan. Uh, In the doctored photo, the logo was removed, however. CNN stated that they aired the photograph that they were provided by the Biden campaign. Several days of controversy went on about this doctored photo, and the Biden campaign came out and said that they removed the photo due to copyright claims. If you believe that, then uh, I've got some oceanfront property for sale for you. However, this is not just a left-wing problem. Fox News recently was, uh, came under fire for their coverage from the race riots back in June. The images have since been taken down from their website, but the conservative-leaning news network was caught photoshopping this armed man into some of their images from the protests in Seattle. It's not even really a good Photoshop when you, uh, when you look at the image. It's really a terrible Photoshop. However, the list could go on and on of all of the deceptive practices that exist in media. It's not left. It's not just right. It's all of the, it's all of the things. And with advanced imaging technology that's gotten more and more uh, competent, you really can't even believe what you see anymore because photographs can be so easily doctored. Video can be so easily doctored. We even have the means to doctor audio where you can change the way someone speaks to, uh, to make it sound like they're saying something that they didn't really say. I mean, for crying out loud, they could take me saying something and turn it into a song. Which is, uh, which is embarrassing to, to uh, you know, nonetheless. It's become so problematic that entire websites have been developed to, uh, to help sniff out the lies. If you've noticed in your Facebook feed, 
if there if some of your friends have posted stories that uh, you know maybe are a little bit questionable you've probably seen a little uh, a little courtesy post from Facebook saying that this story has got some some unverifiable information attached to it uh, snopes.com of course is another one of those fact checking websites factcheck.org is a website devoted to fact checking every time a major politician gives a speech all the various news sources will attempt to fact check the speech. It's not uncommon for people to be Googling the preacher while he's preaching on Sunday morning to verify the claims that he is making. I try to make sure all my sermons are Google-proof. Um, however, not even the fact-checkers can escape their own bias, and believe it or not, in spite of what your kids or grandkids may believe, Google is not omniscient. It doesn't know everything, although it certainly knows a lot. The good news is this is not a a new problem. Long before Photoshop was a, even a, a thing, Jesus was preaching about integrity and honesty. And it seems that human beings, that we've become incredibly skillful liars. And you don't have to read very far in the Bible to find our very first parents struggled with the truth, nothing but the truth, right there from the start. If you recall when after they had taken of the fruit, they immediately hid themselves from God, which again was an act of deception. And the Lord said, why are you hiding? And so began the process of deception within the human race. Jesus' next point in the Sermon on the Mount deals with our words. Uh, remember, this section of the sermon that we are in here, it deals with the behavior expectations of the kingdom citizen. If you recall from verse 20 in our study, our, our righteousness in order to, to get the kingdom of heaven has to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which, which is quite a tall ask if you ask me, because the scribes and the Pharisees were known for their righteousness. And so in order to help kingdom citizens understand what kingdom righteousness looks like, Jesus goes through this teaching series here to help us understand that sort of righteousness. We've touched on some of the more intimate aspects of our thoughts and behaviors. We've talked about our anger and our lust. We've, we've discussed these things. But today Jesus' words asks us to take, to take a very long look at our words. If you've got your Bibles today, we are in Matthew chapter 5. This morning our reading will come from uh, verse 33 through verse 37. If you would please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus, preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Again, you've heard, you have heard, that you have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall... Perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil." Father, we thank you for the simple words of Jesus and the profound effect that they have on our life. May we appropriately consider his expectations of us as citizens of the kingdom of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
you recall correctly, this section of the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, there's a refrain that exists within the words where Jesus begins with, you've heard it said, but then proceeds to carry on with a degree of correction. Uh, and in Jesus, what he's doing here is he's attempting to, to correct the misinterpretation and the misapplication of the law. And so with this in mind, he tells his listeners, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So in each and every step of Jesus' teaching here, he, he mentions the conventional, contemporary understanding of the moral concept that he is speaking to. But then he goes on to offer the appropriate response within the kingdom of God. So in this case, the, the conventional wisdom, the conventional teaching of Jesus' day was simply this. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, you won't find that quote in the Old Testament. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he's offering a, a summation of the Old Testament teaching. Again, it's not one verse that he quotes here. He is, he is offering kind of the, the condensed version of all the Old Testament teaching regarding oaths. In the kingdom, however, Jesus tells us that we aren't even to take oaths today. Well, what exactly are we to do with, with this teaching? Some have taken this to mean that, that if you were summoned to court and you were to take the witness stand and you were to be asked to, to take an oath, that, that you're going to take, you're going to tell the truth. That, that as Christians, we're not allowed to take that oath. Is that really the proper application of Jesus' words here? Some have suggested that, that any time we're asked to, to put, on our, put our hand on a Bible and, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God, that we are in violation of Jesus' words here. Is, is that really what he is saying here? You know, when we consider the Old Testament, the Old Testament actually encourages oath-taking. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, we read these words. He says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. And so the book of Deuteronomy actually encourages us to, to, to take oaths, to, to, to verify our word by swearing, uh, by, by, by taking an oath in the name of the Lord. The catch was, however, if you made an oath or if you made a vow, you were expected to do that which you have promised. It was an unbreakable promise, so to speak. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12 actually condemns us. You shall not swear by my name falsely. So if you were going to take an oath, it was binding. You could certainly take an oath. You could make a promise. You could promise in the name of God you would do such and such. But if you took the Lord's name in that oath, you had better make sure that you did whatever it was that you had promised to do. Well, we take that seriously today as well. If you break your oath in court, then there's a crime attached to that. That crime is known as is perjury. And in the Old Testament, perjury was very serious. Today, perjury is a criminal offense. It's recognized by all states and the federal government as a, as a felony. If you commit perjury in, in a court of law, then you are subject to fines and, and perhaps even imprisonment if you perjure yourself in a court of law under oath. So it's something very serious in the Old Testament. By Jesus' day, though, the scribes and Pharisees, they'd already corrupted the simple Old Testament teaching with a complicated set of rules 
and restrictions. The scribes and Pharisees were good bureaucrats. They could take a simple law and write regulations that would go along with the law to exponentially complicate the law. The Jews had a commentary on the Old Testament law. It was called the, the Mishnah. The, and we have commentaries. I've got lots of Bible commentaries on my shelf. I've got Bible commentaries right here on the tablet that I'm, I'm, I've got my notes here on. I've got access to lots and lots of commentaries. But the difference between the Mishnah and the commentaries that we have today is that the Mishnah was legally binding. If I run across something in a commentary that, that, um, that I don't necessarily uh, think is right, I'm not bound to the words in the commentary. I'm bound to the words of Scripture. I'm not bound to the man's interpretation of the Scripture. The Mishnah was legally binding. It, it had authority. It was, it was something that people listened to. And, and in this commentary that the Jews had on the Old Testament, there's an entire section on oath-taking with an elaborate explanation of, of when oaths were binding and when they were not binding. You basically had a set of rules about when you could lie and when you couldn't lie. You, you had a set of rules about when you had to tell the truth and when you didn't have to tell the truth. As you can imagine, if, if people were navigating these rules and trying to decide whether they could make a, a less binding oath, it, it absolutely cheapened the power of a person's word altogether. If you made a promise in God's name, well, you were responsible for keeping that promise. But if you made a promise on something else, well, you had some liberty to break your oath. So in verses 34 through 36, when Jesus starts listing all of the things that you shouldn't swear by, he was actually attacking this formula that the Jews had developed. And, and he tells you why. He says, you know, you can't make a vow uh, on, on Jerusalem because that's God's city. You can't make a vow on your head because God numbers the hairs on your head. All of these things, you, you're not going to escape God's presence in any of these things. So if you're making a vow that you're trying to get out of, we'll stop. Because the point is not the formula, the point is the promise. Imagine living in a society that had codified a system for telling the truth and for being dishonest. Some of y'all are like, preacher, I work in a society like that every day. As pervasive as dishonesty is in our culture, I think we all still need to acknowledge that our society really only functions well when people tell the truth. That means our media, our politicians, our preachers, we all have a reasonable expectation that these individuals, these, these systems tell us the truth. You expect your banker and your insurance agent to tell you the truth. Believe it or not, you expect your car dealer to tell you the truth. You expect your car mechanic to tell you the truth. When you buy a gallon of milk from the grocery store, you are buying it on the good faith assumption that the dairy is being honest when they put the expiration date on the jug. You would find it odd if your milk jug said this, we swear by the udder of the cow. <laughs> this milk's good till October 21st, so we've got some time there. We swear by the udder of the cow that this milk is guaranteed till October the 21st. In the Mishnah, if this were the oath that were taken, it would not be binding. So drink at your own risk. You know, the kingdom is less concerned about oaths 
and more concerned about honesty. If you remember, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. So in the kingdom of God, we're far less concerned with checking the boxes than we are if we are under the law of the scribes and Pharisees. We all can say, I'm not a murderer, but can we in the kingdom of God declare that we are not murderers, that, that we, we haven't used our, our words or, or, the, or the, the thoughts of our hearts to condemn someone to death? We, we can say, I'm not an adulterer. I've never taken the physical act of adultery, but Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it's not just the physical act, it's the mental act as well. I didn't break my oath. Jesus says, I'm not worried about your oath. I'm worried about your integrity. I'm worried about your honesty. Being a citizen of God's kingdom means that you've got to be about more than just box checking. The truth of the matter is, is that as citizens of, the God, of God's kingdom, we have to be about heart checking. We have to be about checking that which is on the inside. So as a citizen of the kingdom of God, your word should be your oath. Our words should be so dependable that we never have to offer to put our hands on a Bible or swear by some other authority. If we put an expiration date on our milk jug, we shouldn't have to swear by the cow's udder because our word is binding. Jesus says it simply, let your yes or let it be yes or let it be no. James would complicate it slightly in his book. Let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. I love what John Stott said. He said, Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. Our unadorned word should be enough. Yes or no. And when a monosyllable will do, why waste our breath by adding to it? So Christian, how's your word? Citizen of the kingdom of God, how is your word? Is your yes adequate? Is your no adequate? Or do you find that you are a person who has to constantly add to your yes and your no because your yes and your no are not trustworthy enough? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, the clearest indicator of a person's walk with God are the words that leave his or her mouth. You ought to be very concerned about the state of your soul. If your mouth only produces lies, coarse and inappropriate humor, meanness, gossip, and the list could go on. That, that's a clear window to the soul, and, and if that window is dirty, then there is something wrong on the inside of that person. If you work with someone who says that they are a follower of Jesus, yet their words indicate something contrary, that is someone whose soul you should be concerned with. He's pastor, I'm not supposed to judge. You're not judging them, you're letting their words judge them. You should be concerned for that person, and you should pray for that person. If you are someone whose words do not reflect your confession of faith, then you ought to be concerned for your soul. 
all these statements that Jesus offers to us in the Beatitudes, they really do serve as a diagnostic tool for our faith. It's like a CAT scan for our bodies. These words are a diagnostic tool for our faith. It, it, it screens deeply and it looks inside and it evaluates the heart. And, and if we find ourselves at odds with Jesus' words, not necessarily in our every action because we are prone to error, but if we find ourselves constantly being argumentative with the words of Jesus here, then there is something amiss, there's something awry within our hearts. So how are you doing? How's your heart? Are you honest in all of your dealings? Are you someone who lives in a world of exaggeration? If you tell a story, do people believe you? When it comes time to do things like your taxes and you itemize and you start fudging on numbers to, to get to a certain place, th those are all indicators of, of someone who has an integrity problem, a, a problem with their, the, with their trustworthiness. Jesus says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. When the IRS looks at our taxes, there should be no question about what we have written down. How do others see you? Do they see you as someone who is trustworthy? Are you someone whose word is their oath? If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You stick true to that which you say. Or, or are you someone for whom the fish is always a little bit bigger than in the story than it was on the hook? Are you someone where the, the tee shot was always just a little bit straighter and a little bit longer when the story's retold than it was there on the golf course? You see, this is more than just misspeaking or forgetfulness or an honest mistake. This is about deliberately misrepresenting facts to cast others in a negative light in order to cast yourself in a more positive light or to avoid the consequences of your actions. If your M.O. is to, to fudge the facts, regardless of what the facts may be, it may be long past time to have a little chat with Jesus about your integrity. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, the first letter that we have recorded of him, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says this. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. I love... Peter's instruction here is so simple. When you're engaging with the world, when you're dealing with the people on the outside of the church, when you're working with people or going to school with people, when you are dealing with people who are not citizens of the kingdom of God, this is how you should treat them. You should keep your conduct among them honorable. Well, why? Because they're going to hate you. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. So you just need to be ready for it. They're not going to like you. They're going to try to impugn your character. They're going to say things about you that aren't true. But the Bible says to keep your conduct honorable so that even on the day that they try to impugn your character, the deeds don't stick because there's no truth to them whatsoever. That's what they tried to do to Jesus, remember? 
false witnesses. Let's bring people forward to make up stories. And, and, and no matter what they did, they couldn't make the accusations stick. Even to the point of when he was finally turned over to his death, the, the governor or Pilate said, his blood's not on my hands. I can't find anything wrong with this man. Well, that ought to be our character in the world today, where, where even if we're turned over to the authorities, they look at us and say, what'd they do wrong? What'd they do wrong? Their words are pure, their words are honest, their words are trustworthy, their deeds reflect their heart. There's nothing we can find that is wrong with them. But if the world can impugn our character by discrediting our words, then we're never going to be a force for change in a lost and dying world. We look around our world so much today and we see Christians and churches falling on their faces for all sorts of different reasons, all sorts of questions of integrity. And we wonder why the church struggles in this day and time to make an impact, to make a difference. When leaders of our institutions can't be trusted, when preachers of our largest churches are guilty of fraud and embezzlement, it's no wonder that the church's witness is tarnished. But I believe this today. A lost and dying world desperately wants to see a church that is radically different from the world around it. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, our honesty should be a very refreshing attraction to a world that knows nothing more than deceit. So kingdom citizen, how's your heart today? How's your words today? Do your actions reflect your confession? If not, it's time to chat with Jesus. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you will help us to be kingdom citizens who are faithful to tell the truth, in all our dealings. God, would we strive to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that even should they try to impugn our character, there's no way that it can stick. And so God, may our yes simply be our yes and our no simply be our no. May we not have to worry about trying to put our hand on a Bible to affirm that we're telling the truth. May we tell the truth all the time without any added words. And so, God, may our dealings with our coworkers be upright and just. May our words with our colleagues in school be trustworthy and sound. May the stories we tell be right, and may the words that we share be faithful. God, I pray that you will help us to apply the words of Jesus and that we would be a light of truth in a world filled with darkness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.